nothing in this modern world is free um, and that nothing is what it seems. Um, life is very confusing right now, you know. On the one hand, we are so advanced, but on the other hand, you know, you know, no one's relating to each other. Families are being destroyed. We're blowing each other up. You know what I mean? So it's very, it's a very confusing time. And, and so it's a, it's my reflection of, of that feeling, you know, like what is important in life? What really matters? Will success and beauty and fame and fortune bring you happiness? I don't think so. And that, you know, and I can say that because I've been striving for it for the last 20 years. So it's about the realization that, that, that none of those things really matter. You're listening to MLVC, the Madonna podcast. Your place to have a celebration for all things Madonna Louise, Veronica Tricconi. Hey guys, it's Tony here. Why is it so hard to love one another? Hey guys, it's Stefan. Welcome to another edition of the MLVC podcast. Your place to have fun and talk about all things Madonna because who doesn't want to talk about all things Madonna? Am I right? Can I get an amen? Amen. You're absolutely right. Um, Madonna to me is synonymous with summer. I love going out, you know, outdoors, walking, running, playing Madonna through my headphones. Uh, the best part is going to like a rooftop party or, you know, you know, just being out and then all of a sudden you hear holiday, you know, and it just makes your day. Only when you're dancing can you feel this for you, Tony. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's it's good. It's uh, how was your week? Did you have a good week? Yeah, it was pretty good. I I worked very hard, and um, you know, you working, always do, Tony. Working You're... Monday through Friday takes up so much of my time. Mm. But if I can get to the weekend, everything will work out just fine, right? Nice. Yeah, it's been good. No, I mean, who who can complain? Summertime in New York City, and it's actually uh, despite the constant monsoons. But we live in a a tropical paradise, just like La Isla Bonita. <laughs> Uh, so, as everyone probably knows, it's a gay international holiday coming up on August 16th, otherwise known as... Madonna's birthday. The Queen's birthday. That mostly means that if you are hanging out in, you know, a gay-centric area of the city you live in, you could throw a stone and any bar that you walk into is going to be playing... Madonna tracks, hopefully all night, right? Yeah, I mean, I think depending on where you live, you're going to have a local Madonna-thon, a Madonna-rama, a Madonna who knows what it's going to be called, but yes. Madonna-palooza. Yes. Oh, good, good, good. I like that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Madonna-stock. <laughs> you name it, it, it it's probably going to happen. Uh, check your local listings. Yeah, and uh, although I feel like in Europe they're much more well represented, but I think we can do better, America. What do you think? Yeah, step up, right? Uh, but no, it's it'll be uh, it's fun. I love being a Madonna fan on Madonna's birthday because everywhere you look, it's sort of like the one day where she gets a lot of love on all social media platforms, on all of the news sites. Uh, I mean. As we remember last year, her her 60th birthday was sort of uh, overshadowed by the the death of Aretha Franklin. Uh, so the, here here's the news going to celebrate 
60 years of the queen of pop and suddenly the queen of soul comes in and sort of takes that away. But that's okay because Madonna made up for it by talking about herself during her Aretha tribute at the VMAs. Yes, if you haven't listened to last week's episode about Madonna and the VMAs, tune in to that right after this and uh, you'll hear our thoughts on that. But uh, yeah, it'll be great to sort of have, I mean, she's going to be 61. I, God, hope we all look that good when we are 61. She's, uh, the those clips of her for the rehearsals for the Madame X tour, she looks amazing. Like, she looks fit as fuck, pardon my French. Yeah. Tony, <laughs> there are children listening to but this. But we can curse on this podcast. We can, because I don't think there are children listening to this podcast. No. Just legendary children of... <laughs> The House of ex- the House of Extravaganza, the House of Madonna Extravaganza, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, there's no children listening to this. Po- I don't think I could even get my nieces and nephews to listen to this podcast because they just Madonna who you know. It's, uh, Madonna who? I'll tell you who Madonna <laughs> is. <laughs> they know who Madonna is. Yeah, I've I've made sure that I've spread the news of of the icon that we uh, worship and adore because you have to pass it on to mm-hmm. future generations so that way they can appreciate things absolutely right so for madonna's birthday she's decided to give us a gift and on friday we will get a release of i rise remixes part two 2.0. I'm yeah. I'm curious to hear what those remixes are going to be. Do you know if these are all also produced by Tracy Young, or will they be by different Pro- producers? Uh, I'm assuming probably different yeah. because I think Tracy got the highlight on the first round, which mm-hmm. was only like her, right? It was just those three. Yeah. And then we'll have a surprise. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten some pushback. A couple of people have DM me saying that. They don't think it's possible that iRise remix will be performed at Madame X, but I stand my ground. I will be at the BAM, and when I hear iRise swelling into a big, crazy, amazing electronic beat, I'm going to be looking around saying, "Mm mm-hmm, I told you so. (laughs) If that does not happen, then I will just slink away in my uh, supreme hoodie. You'll pull your hoodie, right? (laughs) I... Don't know. I I would love to see her do a a dance remix version of that song. Mm-hmm. I because well, I want you wonder if maybe she saw the reception of the standard version at Pride and she thought, you know what, I gotta camp this up for the gays. You know, I gotta I gotta speed this up a little bit and put a little dance step to it. And yeah, I mean, I'm still scratching my head as to why the album version of I Rise was turned into a picture disc for my box set you know i mean i barely play i love madame x by the way you guys know that but i barely play i rise and i'm not gonna put that record on the turntable (laughs) Mm. you did some record shopping just the other day i saw well yeah my my friend's visiting from la and she's a a vinyl aficionado so we went to academy records here in greenpoint and yeah i I actually purchased the Unbreathless CD because I want the original full-length version of Vogue, Mm, mm -hmm. not the edit that's found digitally. And then I bought the Erotica 12-inch from my friend Basil, who is going to be visiting from San Francisco in September, and he just had to have it. So I was there. I got it. You know, I'm always doing service for the fellow Madonna fan. That's really nice of you. You're very dedicated. He's very, very dedicated, everyone, just in case you didn't know. I just want everyone to benefit from what Madonna has to give us. Right, but he, he will not take 
orders via online. Tony is not a, a Madonna shop. No, I mean, there are places where you can buy these 12 inches. Just because I show them in my Instagram story doesn't mean that I'm buying them for you. <laughs> but, you know, every now and then I'll feel generous and if I might people, pick one up. If you people know? Venmoed you money, they, you would, I think you mm -hmm. would. I think you'd. Or Madame X tickets. Yes, yes, we are. If, if anyone needs a, a, a partner to come with them to one of the other Madame X tour dates. I got a Like a Prayer 12-inch single for you. <laughs> <laughs> so what else is going on in Madonna land? So in Madonna land, there was some big news that uh, just happened recently, which I thought was pretty fascinating for a woman who did not start her career in the digital age of social media. Uh, but most recently... She has become the first artist to have a video in each of the last four decades to hit over 100 million streams on YouTube. Um, That's great. Yeah, so although those videos were not obviously out on YouTube in 1980 or 1990, or, uh, but those were videos that were produced in those decades and i mean imagine how many people have actually seen the vogue video right uh before streaming but like yeah. you know like to, to count those and those on the immaculate collection vhs tape that right broke in my vcr because yes. i played it so much uh but yeah so those those videos um are uh, la isla bonita in the 80s vogue in the 90s um we have hung up in the 2000s, and we have Bitch, I'm Madonna in the last decade. Wow, what a surprise. I was surprised that it was Bitch, I'm Madonna too, yeah. but I I wondered if maybe that's because it's a party video, it's flashy, there was those cameos from Beyonce and Nicki Minaj and Katy Perry, and you know, so like maybe some of the star power got initial reactions and... Yeah, that's interesting. I guess that officially makes it the biggest hit from the Rebel Heart album. Which... It's surprising. You, yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. I honestly would have thought it would have been like ghost town. Yeah, it's funny though, because I've been thinking about it a lot lately after Madame X came out and MDNA and Rebel Heart kind of just took a real backseat now. You know? mm -hmm. Because when you listen to the artistry and the thought that was put into Madame X, it just makes you look at Rebel Heart and MDNA as products from another era, you know? Yeah, I mean, I do think she was not as focused on those two albums as she was on Mad as she was on Madame X. They weren't as personal, even though there were some beautiful songs on there that I still listen to. But we're we're talking about cohesion, you know. We're talking about a journey, and I Madame X definitely gives you that journey. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, but yeah, so it was it was kind of a, a cool stat. I think a, a nice notch on her on her bedpost to be able to sort of say. You know, here she's the very first artist to have accomplished that goal. I wouldn't have thought that it would have been her, uh, but it makes sense. You know, she's been around for since the '80s, which a lot of the current poplets uh, weren't even born until the '90s. Correct. So they weren't turning out. I mean, she won't be the last person to have that because you know, give another decade, and I'm sure Beyonce will be there. Britney Spears. This well, who knows? Because Britney Spears is putting out new music now, but probably Beyonce. Probably Lady Bull, Lady Gaga has to wait another twenty years in order to because she didn't come out until the two thousands. So yeah, there's there's definitely uh, uh, some clout there to be able to say that she's she's notched that achievement, which is is kind of fun. No, that's that's great. And you know, Madonna once again setting precedents, breaking records. 
All over the place. All over the place. Even on her birthday week. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do for her birthday, Tony? What are your plans? I don't have any plans as of yet, but it's only Sunday. There's plenty of time to make some plans. So there's plenty of time to make plans. And uh, whatever it is that I'm doing, I will be celebrating mm-hmm. as if I were on holiday. I have, I'm planning to uh, dress up in my Desperately Seeking Susan outfit. And I'm going to do a little stroll down St. Mark's Place with some, uh, some cheese puffs. And um, probably, you know, like open a, a magazine stand and throw a bunch on the ground. Uh, maybe I'll take a trip down Battery Park and, you know, like talk about some sushi and, you know, reapply my makeup and, you know, just really live early Madonna. Yeah. I think it's important, you know, she's turning 61. It's like, it's a state, birthdays are a state of reflection. Yeah, let's throw it all the way you back. Know, like, I want to look back on uh, a simpler time, a simpler time of New York City, a simpler time of Madonna and, uh, you know, just really live it. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, you're kind of inspiring me to like maybe take a cue from Tears of a Clown and, you know, get a tricycle <laughs> and ride around Williamsburg dressed as a clown, oh, being please ironic. Please tell me when you're going to do that and I want to come and just videotape it from afar. Like, I just want to see people's reactions. When <laughs> Didn't she also have like one of those like little trumpet noisemakers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Madonna, oh my God, I'm looking at you. No, please do that in front of the rehearsal studio mm-hmm. in, uh, in Greenpoint. That would be brilliant. That'll be me on West Street in a tricycle wearing a fright wig <laughs> if, and a yeah, red nose. If you're stalking Madonna's tour rehearsals, it will not be Madonna on the tricycle <laughs> in the scary pink wig. It will be Tony. It will be me. Yeah, so he, won't, he will be giving out autographs, but he will not be posing for pictures. Oh, tears of a clown. How we miss you. <laughs> so, I think... Um, It's time to get started on the big subject of the day, which we've had many requests for this since we began our podcast many, many moons ago. And I'm very excited to delve into a part of Madonna's career that is underlooked, I feel, Mm -hmm. especially by the broad fan base. And this is Madonna's artistry as a songwriter. Yes. Uh, We're going to be taking a deep dive into... Madonna and her lyrics. Uh, I think it's important to look at that because obviously the songs and the how they've been crafted and how they've been shaped have, you know, a very big part in terms of... What am I trying to say here? I, <laughs> Just say it already. <laughs> Everyone thinks of Madonna and her songs and her music videos and her performances the lyrics are definitely looked at last, I think. I mean, I appreciate a lot of Madonna's lyrics, but she's basically been known for the outrage, the controversy, the splash, the flash, the... The the, trash. Yes, the different different looks, the different hairstyles, the, you know, the different hair colors, the the photography. The boyfriend of the moment. Right, the gossip, the... A lot of people don't really appreciate or focus in on her songwriting and there is a large catalog of songs uh, from the past almost 40 years and it's kind of fun to be able to look at how her songwriting has evolved how introspective she's become what she's chosen to share with us as songwriter Um, and it's fun to sort of see how she's been able to craft some lyrics that if you were to just read them might come off a bit more simplistic and easy, but props to her for, you know, 
being able to come up with a really catchy as all hell hook on a chorus or a verse and making something that would otherwise in the hands of somebody else sound reductive trite yeah it's uh and so it's it's a, a testament to her power as a songwriter i think yeah you know and a lot of people overlook the fact that you know when madonna created her first album with the producers you know on hand like mark caymans and jellybean she had already been working as a musician and you know not just a singer but a musician she was you know a guitar player she, you know, not a very good one, but she played the guitar and, you know, she played the drums and she produced music. So she wasn't a pop star by committee. You know, she knew what she was doing and she kind of had to play the, you know, she kind of had to dumb herself down in the first album just to get it out. And, you know, to some degree in Like a Virgin, but by the time True Blue came out, she wrote all those songs with Patrick Leonard. And, you know, she, she was letting everyone know that I'm also a musician. I'm not just a pop tart. Right. She wasn't just a puppet. She wasn't just somebody being given a song, told to sing it, and then just being the face yeah. of that music. But I also think it's it's sort of fun to sort of recognize that she realized the power of songwriting mm-hmm. and how important it was in terms of making money, where uh, if she was credited as a songwriter... Every time that song would get licensed for whatever, you know, any project or a movie or a soundtrack or whatever, she'd get paid for that. Yeah. And that's a very shrewd move. You know, she, um, Webo Girl is her publishing company. And, you know, it's, it has quite a, a reach in her career. You know, pretty much everything that she sings, except for songs that were brought to her, are under her publishing. Right. And she also, you know, even songs like, there are many songs that she just co-wrote specifically with just one other person. So her and Patrick Leonard, her and Shep Pettibone, her and Stuart Price. Uh, you know, there's a lot of those instances where, you know, her and Babyface, you name it. Like, you can go through her every album of hers and sort of analyze the songwriting credits. And you can see later in her career, there's a lot of songs that have a lot more people added to it, which yeah. is, I think, you know, the evidence that this was a song she didn't originally write, right. but she had she felt interested in performing that and putting her name on that project. And she would go in and alter a couple lines, alter a couple words. So that way she would at least be included on the songwriting credits. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think for this conversation's purposes, Tony and I are going to focus less on those larger collaborative efforts uh, where there's more than three people. And we're going to focus more on just when it's between her and one other person, maybe two other people at most. Right. Like the more organic collaborations. Yeah. The more, the bit more intimate, you know, just when you know that it's her and one other person sitting in a room coming up with a song and uh, bouncing off, you know, thoughts and melodies and harmonies off of each other. Because I think for every person that she works with, obviously it's a different process. You know, when you think about her writing like a prayer, her and Patrick Leonard basically locked themselves in a room for two weeks and they, wrote that album from start to finish yeah. that was and that's what we heard as is evidenced from the the, demos. the leaked demos that he sent he put out the, the song the, you know the demo version that they recorded the vocals for is the version that we hear and so it's as you can see how fast they were able to imagine that tony mm-hmm. how i'm like can she just lock herself in a room with patrick leonard again and come out with another opus in two weeks like while she's taking a break between 
this year and next year's version of uh, the Madame X tour, she could just like, before she goes back on tour, just like write another album. So that way we have something maybe in like spring when the tour finishes. That's that's a wish list. That is a wish list. <laughs> and it's not impossible. Ariana Grande released an, two albums within six months. So Madonna. I, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that the other day where I was like, I wonder if she's... Because remember when she uh, um, the tour dates and the announcement went on out into the press about how she was doing a more intimate show? Yeah. And people were sort of like freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, we're not going to be... I can't believe she's not doing a stadium and she's not coming to my city and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And... She's like, just wait. There's there's more to come. This is only the beginning. And I was, I still wonder what she meant by that. I think that hinges on the success of the the theater date. So let's hope that. But I was like, I wonder if there's a a grander plan. Like if maybe after the the small intimate show is done, that she'll start doing like stadium dates or something. And I was like, wouldn't it be great if yes, that's what she was planning on doing. Like just like maybe some big major cities like hopping around the globe and then to support that she would have like a couple extra like if she just released like a six track ep and again this was a wish list because (laughs) i remember very clearly looking at that dry erase board in the background of her instagram stories while she was recording madame x and there was only the tracks that we know of there was no other tracks on there so um, unless there was a hidden with dry erase boards somewhere else in that studio, I doubt we're going to get some other Madame X session songs. I, I agree with you. I feel like we would have, it would have been included somewhere, you know, in the box set in that but, additional I mean, CD. You but. know, maybe like with Ariana Grande, she's, mm-hmm. I, I would love that. I would love yes. if she like, cause she's never done anything like that where we've gotten a release and then six months later we get something else. I mean, I think the closest we've ever come to that is I'm like breathless. Uh, to have like a prayer and then I'm breathless the following year. Like, I think that's the closest we've mm-hmm. ever come to that. But, um, so yeah, if you're listening, Madonna, um, can just a six, uh, six song EP would be great. Please. Thank you. Please. And thank you. <laughs> but yeah. So, um, topic of the day, Madonna and lyrics, uh, you want to go, Tony? Yeah, how, sure. how, how are we going to talk about this? But well, we're just going to pick random songs. What do you want to go from like early to late? Uh, no, just what what's first on your list? You know, okay. um, first, well, you, you start. So I I've chosen to focus on some of Madonna's earlier work because I feel like that was where her songwriting had more gravitas and it was more. I don't know. It was. It just made made more of a statement, you know. She she was she was brave and courageous, and she just like you know this is this is what I'm doing. And I also feel like maybe she was a little nervous at the time too, you know, starting out. But um, the the big standout is "Live to Tell," because you know "Live to Tell" was the first single for True Blue, and it was for all intents and purposes her new sound. Mm-hmm. Well, and a new look. And a new look, you know, and, uh, and, you know, first collaboration with Patrick Leonard, who she started working with after the Virgin tour. So Patrick Leonard had written, he was hired by Paramount Pictures to write the music for a film. And he, you know, he submitted it and Paramount rejected it. They're like, no, this is not the direction we want to go in. 
So when that happened, he had the music for Live to Tell already written, and he thought about Madonna, so he contacted... I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah, right? So he contacted her, and he sent her the music, and she wrote the lyrics to the song. And, you know, these, these lyrics were based on, you know, her childhood scars, um, you know, had a beautiful emotional pitch... And, you know, it, you know, in her words, it portrays the complexity of deceit and mistrust. I never, I, I always felt like Live to Tell was written very, it had a very opaque meaning. It could mean five different things. It could mean one thing. It could mean nothing. But apparently she, you know, she wrote it informed by her childhood, but also informed by the script for Sean Penn's new film, At Close Range which is where the song ended up ultimately, you know, it was the theme song. But, you know, since the song has been released, it has had so many different permutations, you know, every time she performs it on stage, it's a different, it's a different experience, you know, from Blonde Ambition to uh, Confessions, you know, hanging on a cross. So Madonna has been able to take this song, you know, one of, one of her, her best songwriting outings and she has been able to reinterpret it infinite times since its release you know so i think that this is this is a very strong um indication that you know madonna knows how to write a song and this might be her strongest ballad i think yeah it's definitely a great you know after you have her first album and her second you know the the Madonna first album and then the like a virgin album there was a very specific tone it was very sexual it was mm-hmm. very playful it was very dance and upbeat and then and there were no ballads she, right well i mean i guess uh love don't live here anymore would be considered balladish but it's a cover so right, it but, wasn't a surprise but it was still slow yeah yeah you know, i see what you're saying um yeah. physical attraction was sort of like a maybe like a trip hop esque type of ballad that's um, called a bedroom jam. Oh, yes. It, <laughs> yes, it was. Um, on, on the quiet storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I um, I love that she, you know, it was a definite shift in tone and appearance. It was Madonna coming out and saying, there's more to me than a material girl. Yeah. You know, uh, there's more to me than, than what you've already gotten, which I think was a great shift for her. It was very smart for her to sort of change it up. She was, she surprised everybody coming yeah. out with it. I mean, if you look at the video, she's in that little flowery dress, very similar to like, this used to be my playground, yeah. which if you think about the parallels to, to both of those, both live to tell and this used to be my playground in terms of a visual aspect, it's fun to think that like she chose live to tell to follow her first two albums and it shifts people's perceptions, which same thing with this used to be my playground. That was following the whole erotica. No, it was before erotica. Was it? It was after Justify My Love before erotica. Are you sure? Yeah, this used to be my playground came out in June of 1992. And erotica, oh, erotica came out in 93? October. Yeah, no, yeah. no. Well, yeah, yeah. Later that year. But it was two separate projects oh, yeah, because right. this used to be my playground was bound tightly to a league of their own right and that was that was a that was an image for madonna that was going to be destroyed the minute dita yes reared her head you know oh you're right okay well so then after justify my love and the i'm sorry see uh fans uh listeners 
Even ardent fans such as myself can not always remember the exact dates things happen. Well, I'll remember. Oh, we'll get to that song in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's just, anyway, I, I'm, I'm lost in a Madonna tangent at this moment. Let's get back to Live to Tell. I love Live to Tell. The lyrics are great. The, I mean, Patrick Leonard, I, the, the one thing I, I loved when we got to go see Patrick Leonard at Joe's Pub was he got to talk about the process a little bit. Yeah. And, and he, I, for those people who weren't able to attend uh, those, was it one or two nights that he was there? I think it was one night. It was just one night, yeah. right? Uh, it was wonderful to be in the room with this man who helped craft some of Madonna's most memorable songs. And he was talking about the process, which Madonna has touched on gently in her career, but she doesn't go in depth and sort of, you know, God bless Patrick Leonard. He was championing her as a great lyricist and songwriter Mm -hmm. and how it was a collaboration. It's many people think Madonna doesn't do the songwriting. Oh, that's not her. She's not doing that. And Patrick Leonard was like, no, no, that's her. You know, she's, She's there with me writing the song. Exactly. And he also lauded her on her efficiency and, you know, her speed. You right. know, she doesn't like to waste time in the studio. And, you know, she's she's a big star. She can afford studio time. You know, there's people that record for years. Like, for example, Fleetwood Mac or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people that perfect their craft. But Madonna knows efficiency. And, you know, she'll, you know, this is... You know, this is what I've learned about reading uh, Chef Pettibone's writings about erotica or hearing Patrick Leonard talk about the process for Like a Prayer and True Blue. It's like she goes in there and she gets it done. Yeah. And then on to the next song. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's, it was sort of fun to be able to hear him talk about the process, about how they would yeah. record a little bit and how she, you know, I mean, she had said that I had recently just watched um, that MTV um, special uh, where they visit her in the studio for the recording of Ray of Light. Yeah. Uh, her and... Uh, the ultrasound. The ultrasound, right. That's I was like, not underground, it's ultrasound. And inside, Madonna, with her and Kurt Loder and on the set of the Frozen video mm-hmm. and then in the, in the studio with uh, uh, William really Orbit. And, you know, she talks about how she'll go in and she'll record some stuff and then there'll be stuff ruminating in her head and she'll come in the next day and they'll And then like, she'll eat some candy. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, I wish that she would talk a little bit more about her songwriting process and how it evolves. But, you know, basically she would say a lot of the songs that she comes up with, it's based off of poetry, stuff that she's writing just along the, along the way, you know, like when she's on a plane yeah. or when she's in transit somewhere and she'll hear bits of song pieces that you know maybe the producer she's working with brings in and that inspires some other lyrics and uh yeah it's it's fun to sort of hear her talk about that yeah there's nothing i love more than hearing madonna talk about her process or what inspires certain works i remember in the 90s i think stevie nicks had a greatest hits album and the liner notes were amazing because she went through every single song and gave a story about how it came to be and ever you know i never forgot that because i as I was reading it, I said, Madonna needs to do this. Well, that might be coming. That might be, you know, like when Madonna's 80, that might be her, 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 it'll be her songstress tour where she, it's her in a stool and uh, she'll just sit there and tell the world about some stories, about what happened when she was writing like a virgin. I would love that as long as she doesn't dress herself up as a clown. <clears throat> so Stefan, what song lyrically, amazes you 
Uh, I first on my list, I, I was trying to think of like in terms of like bigger a bigger scope of like who do I who do I love when she works with, yeah. and I think many ardent Madonna fans will agree that her relationship with Patrick Leonard and the songs that the two of them worked on was very successful. Um, one of my favorite uh, Madonna songs, both lyrically and musically, uh, has been "Oh Father." Oh um, yeah, I love that song. Uh, the, I mean. The or- orchestration of that song is beautiful. I think the melodies and harmonies in that song are beautiful. The video is gorgeous. You know, like there's a lot of elements working towards that song. But then, you know, when you look at the lyrics, it's fun to sort of see how deep and meaningful and introspective she's being. Um, I remember when I first heard that song, I thought she was talking about her dad. Me too. Uh, you know, because the song is titled Oh Father, I... Uh, you know, as a young kid in eighth grade hearing the song off the Like a Prayer album, I instantaneously thought she meant she was talking about her dad. It, but when you actually look at the song and then, of course, there's the video, mm-hmm. it, you realize she's not talking about her father. She's basically saying a prayer, you know, like the Catholic prayer where it's like, oh, father who art in heaven, hallowed yeah. be thy name. That's where she's getting the Oh Father portion of that song from. But she's basically talking about her relationship with Sean Penn. Exactly. And I've also read in an old interview with her from the Like a Prayer era. It was a Vanity Fair article. And she described Oh Father as being inspired by Sean Penn's relationship with his father, as well as her relationship with Sean Penn. Oh, interesting. So it's almost kind of like a circle. You life, know, where life, life is a circle. Life is a circle. You know, he was... Um, you know, he wasn't treated fairly by his father growing up and there was a lot of resentment there and that might have led to his anger issues. I'm not mm-hmm. going to, I'm not going to psychoanalyze Sean Penn. No. He's got, we'll wait until we have him as a guest. Exactly. But I, I, I feel like that's very valid. You know, it's like, you know, his anger issues and, you know, her, her, um, relationship to patriarchy in general, her father, you know, uh, the Pope, you know what I'm saying, you yes. know? So I, I, I feel like, you know, it's, it, it does come off like a prayer, but it's just, it's, it has such a broader scope. Yeah. I, I will say, um, I think my favorite little portion of lyrics other than the chorus, which of course, um, is wonderful. Uh, my little favorite moment in that song is the the part where she says, maybe someday mm-hmm. when I look back, I'll be able to say, you didn't mean to be cruel. Somebody hurt you too. Yeah. And I just love how there's like, a full circle moment. Yes. If you look at those lyrics, again, on paper, they might seem a bit simplistic, but when you put it in that song with her voice and her, she's selling those... And the orchestral the, swell. It's just so beautiful mm-hmm. and so wonderful. And it's just, I think it's a great example of Madonna knowing how to craft very simplistic sounding lyrics, but selling them. So it's the thing that I always say is, why if you hear people covering her songs they don't sound as good i I, i've it's very rare that i hear somebody cover a madonna song and it sounds better than her version because she's so attached to those lyrics and where the the intonation is coming from and the emotion that she sells on a track behind those lyrics and I just feel like it's how she wrote it yeah and the other people singing it it just doesn't have the same weight and heft to it I totally agree so on a bit of a liner note um, there's Into the Groove which was one of her first songwriting efforts that 
you know, really made people to, you know, stand up and notice, you know, it's like, wow, Into the Groove. Into the Groove was written by Madonna and Stephen Bray. You know, he wrote the music and she wrote the lyrics. It was written for Mark Kamens, who had, Mark Kamens is the producer of Everybody, and he was the DJ at Danceteria. So he had a, a young pop startup named Shane, and they were putting together a, a, you know, a project for her at Universal Records. And he asked Madonna to write a song for her, and it was Into the Groove. So, Uh-oh. Something tells me Shane didn't get that song. She did not. And it's funny because if you go back and you look up Shane and YouTube, you know, I remember she had a song on the Weird Science soundtrack. So I, she's kind of been on my radar since 85 or whatever. And I didn't find out about her connection to Madonna until later. But if you go back and you listen to some of her tracks on YouTube, um, some of them unreleased, she sounds just like Madonna. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. And, you know, she's, she's great for, you know, for what she did. But, you know, her career was pretty much donezo by the time wow. Madonna took that song away and said, I'm making a movie and this is perfect for my movie, you know? <laughs> Poor Shane. But that song had a, you know, had a different beginning. She was sitting on her stoop on Avenue B and she was trying to come up with lyrics and she kept thinking about the boy across the hall who was this cute Latin boy that, you know, she really wanted to get with and she, you know, that's why she said that at night I locked the door so no one else can see. Mm-hmm. And, you know, little clues about this dude. But in the end, she said she went out with him a couple times, wasn't into him, but she got the song and then she recorded it with Stephen Bray. I think the story is they were um, on the Lower East Side in her apartment and they recorded it in a couple takes. Mm. It took them about an hour. Uh, she says there's a sirens and traffic in the background. And, you know, I've been listening to, I've been listening for that and I can't find it. So they must have really really scrubbed it out but i find into the groove to be just like essential madonna songwriting you know it's about it hits all the boxes that i love in her oof it's uh dancing it's simple it's about freedom it's about being yourself at any cost and it's about it's about madonna (laughs) well also i think it's a really great it's an anthemic madonna song Mm -hmm. it definitely is a great classic dance song for the 80s. You know, like if you listen to any adult contemporary radio station where they're the best hits of the 80s and 90s, you're going to hear Into the Groove. It's a safe song because, you know, back in the day, people were veering away from playing Madonna's controversial music. And so Into the Groove was always really easy to play because it's fun, it's upbeat, it's happening. But yes, it's a message song where like not every Madonna song has to be deep and brooding and like a prayer and uh you know like it 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 has an easy message get on the dance floor dance your ass off and you'll feel really fantastic Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's what you want you know like god knows in these days we as people definitely need an escape from the horribleness of the day and i think that's what into the groove is all about you know like exactly what it's about and and you know and it's a big standout in her career lyrically because it shows up in her later work in different ways. And, you know, the fans know this. I mean, know? I love that she, you know, decided to bring it back as, in that little, the little, uh, 
trio of songs that she sang with the flamenco guitars in uh, the Rebel Heart tour, yeah. where it was, you know, like all of those like big 80s hits that she had. And she sort of like reinterpreted them and re re energized them in a way and it was it was fun it was good I mean I of course always err on the side of I want to hear the traditional song you know like it would be like if she did rescue me with a flamenco guitar and it's like do not even put that out into the universe (laughs) don't do it yes no I want 90s house yeah the best Madonna performance of Into the Groove live is Live Aid if you haven't seen it or heard it go to YouTube now it is sublime well finish the podcast and then go yes do that youtube (laughs) all right Stefan, what do you have on your plate uh so uh going to the opposite way because as i was just saying that sometimes madonna is a bit heavy or or dark um that's where we're going with this next song listeners uh one of my all-time favorite madonna songs uh is bad girl off the erotica album it was written with uh by her and shep pettibone I talk about creating a mood. Yeah, it's so fantastic. Uh, I mean, some of the lyrics that are constantly were constantly always coming back or being thrown at me, um, or just I think in gay culture, you know, like uh, bad girl drunk by six. Uh, you know, I smoked too many cigarettes today. I'm not happy when I act this way. Like those are such fun little lyrics to be able to throw around. It's like I love that she sort of pairs it with a story video of you know, this, this sort of like archangel following her around, sort of like overseeing her and looking at her. And it sort of makes the story that she is telling through the lyrics and amplifies it a little bit more. You know, like you're given a whole, uh, a whole story, a whole character, a whole little world based in the song. And the, the lyrics are just super strong. It's super catchy. I mean, I remember when she performed that song on Saturday Night Live. Another standout live performance. It was super great. You know, like, it's super simple. I mean, again, I remember as a younger kid watching, the, you know, as a teenager watching that song when she was performing, I just wanted her to get up and dance her ass off, and she didn't. You know, she's just sitting there singing that song. She looked great, and she sounded mm-hmm. great, and it was... Looking back, I'm so happy she did that, you know, like, to be able to perform that song, because she's never performed it again. No, that's the only time she's performed it live, and, you know, that song represents the dark side of erotica, and it's it's a very dark song, but um, I love I love a, I love a song that tells a story, and this definitely tells a story. Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that I was realizing as uh, you sort of go through all of Madonna's lyrics, uh, all of her different songs, is how many different song structures she has. Mm-hmm. You know, like some of the songs, and it evolves, it changes, it, it it's constantly from album to album, from song to song. She has a very simple structure. There'll be a chorus of a verse, a chorus, a bridge, a verse, you know, like she mixes it up. It's not the same type of thing. Like it maybe was a little bit more similar in some of her earlier albums, but then as she grows as a songwriter and she evolves and she keeps pushing herself to grow and change the, the way that she crafts a song starts to evolve as well. And like bad girl is there's a lot of lyrics in that song. Uh, it's, you know, like, it's not like a Into the Groove. Not, again, not that Into the Groove is a bad song, but it's it just goes to show how she was able to switch it up. You know, yeah. like, here's a simple structure for, and she makes it a dance song and calls it Into the Groove. Here's Bad Girl, where there's, like, a lot of stuff happening in that song. Mm-hmm. She's talking a lot about, you know, like, where her life is and what she's doing. And it's, you know, is it even her that she's talking about? Exactly. Is, it, is it somebody else that she knows? Is it her reflections? I think that's what's fascinating about her as a songwriter as well. And she said this many times, not every song is about her. 
Sometimes they're about Dita. It could be right. She invents a character and she writes it from the perspective of that character. Sometimes she's talking about a relationship that happened 20 years ago, not something that happened in the last year. You know, like Right. And I, I've heard her say as well that sometimes the songs are written from a perspective of someone who is having an experience with her. Right. So it's not her that the story, it's about that per, maybe the person that she was involved with and mm-hmm. her writing from that person's perspective. It's really smart. You know, like, again, it's a way for her to be personal and open up about things, but yeah. not actually reveal her exact intention. Exactly. I remember when Erotica came out and me and my friends were convinced. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't tell us differently. We were convinced that Thief of Hearts was about Annette Benning. How dumb is that, okay? <laughs> and years later, um, I read something with Shep Pettibone saying that Thief of Hearts was written by Madonna about how she thinks women feel about her. Mm. And I was like, oh, duh. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it just opened it up. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, of course, that's exactly. So, you know, Mad- the, the story was, you know, Madonna walks into a room and there's 20 women and that's how she thinks they're thinking of her. Oh, that's so fun. Know? Yeah, it's fun when you hear her, like when she answers a question about that mm-hmm. where you're like, nope, that's what this was about. And here you're thinking the entire time it's, her thinking about somebody else and it's like no actually this is what she thinks people think about her it's her yeah. ego her her neurosis almost. yeah you couldn't have told me that in 92 in 92 Annette Benning was pregnant and I was like Madonna hates her that's so funny <laughs> so I've got one of my favorite songs from Like a Prayer it's Spanish Eyes mm-hmm. and what's important about the song is it's another entry into Madonna's Latin flavored catalog, mm-hmm. uh, but not, it's not her first. Not her first, but it's it's co-written with Patrick Leonard. Uh, the, the music is gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous Spanish guitar. But it's the first time Madonna has written a song about AIDS, mm, mm-hmm. and specifically, you know, uh, a, a boy, a man in the inner city who is growing up in the barrio and has AIDS and has to confront prejudice and violence and homophobia. It's very subtle and it's, it's very plaintive. Madonna is, it almost sounds like she's begging Mm -hmm. in the song, begging for understanding. And I find it to be one of her most vulnerable moments. And I think Spanish eyes is just beautiful. It's She sells the lyrics on that song. So amazing. I mean, you can definitely that's madonna's old voice mm-hmm. you know before she got any quote unquote professional training before she was training for the dick tracy soundtrack and then obviously Evita. before evita as well um so she was still using her her 80s voice yeah. that she you know the untrained vocals but in that song she really sells it. It's like you can just hear the emotion. You can hear the rawness of her voice. Yeah. And it it really amplifies the message that she's trying to get across with that song. Absolutely. And I feel it's uh, akin to Bad Girl where it's almost cinematic where you're listening to the song and she's taking you somewhere and you see these images in your head. Yeah. that's Yeah, it's such a beautiful song. I love that song. I think it's, it's so underrated. It's a very forgotten Madonna song. Um, but, and again, like we had said with Angel, that's a testament to her as an artist because here's this beautiful gorgeous wonderful song no one ever listens to it or mentions mm-hmm. it because there's so many other songs of hers that are out there right. i mean that or, wasn't even a single no it wasn't a single 
And yeah, like you, like you say, there were so many other songs or there were songs with imagery that steer you away from album tracks. Yeah. And I, but I love that she, you know, part of Madonna as a songwriter that I love is she does sort of tell these stories uh, through songs about, you know, gay LGBT youth and their experience, you know, like, so you have Spanish eyes, um, you have deeper and deeper, which is although not a song that I'm addressing here on the podcast in this life. Yeah. I mean, she has these songs where she's writing about from a perspective of a gay person Mm -hmm. and she's not coming out and saying that that's what it's about, but that's what it's about. I want to give an honorable mention to in this life because it's, you know, it's almost, you know, similar in theme to, Spanishized, but it's also more specific. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that's one of those songs that when I listen to erotica, when I listen to erotica, I'm in, I'm in a definite mood and I always skip in this life because I don't want to be taken out of that mood. Right. Even though I do love the song and I, I appreciate it so much. And, and I feel like when it came out, it was very necessary to have that song. And when Madame X radio was a thing last month, it came on one day randomly and I'm walking down 14th street crying, you know, uh-huh. like I hadn't heard that song before. And I was like, wow, it's, it's still strong. It still hits you, you know? Well, and I think also what's great, like in terms of, because Madonna, as we know with her, with her tours, she's always about like having the journey, having mm-hmm. uh, the song sort of take you on a bit of a train ride, you know, through light and darkness and whatnot. And I think if you look at her erotica album, she sort of does that in terms of the th- how the album is structured from song to song to song. Yeah, so, but and then did you do it? Shows up. Well, <laughs> that she was doing those those guys a favor by letting them have that song because then they got for every time that album was bought, they cha-ching. Oh yeah. But I love. I've that, never like, saw or heard of those guys again because well, they're counting they, yeah, their they're, money. They're in the they're in the Hollywood Hills enjoying their pools, mm-hmm. but um it's sort of interesting to be able to sort of see what Madonna does with the erotica album where she sort of, it starts off with sex and fun and, you know, like going out. And then it it sort of shifts and changes where it's like, you can see, you know, like she's, she's gone out, she's been to the sex club, she's had the party and now she's, her friends are dying. Now she's at home having oral sex with some, somebody going down on her. And then it sort of goes into like the whole bad girl where, you know, Oh God, I've, I've been doing this too much. I've been partying too much. And then, and then waiting and deep of hearts and words. And there's just, and then like, it's just a great album from start to finish in terms of the story that the songs are telling, Mm -hmm. not necessarily that they link up to one another, but there's a great progression, uh, which is what I love about that album as a whole. It's one of, I think her strongest albums from start to finish in terms of lyrics and in terms of story, um, and hooks and chorus and all that. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a great song. Yeah. And, uh, I, I agree with you on that one, Tony. Um, I then I'm going to start moving myself ahead. I was trying to, I didn't want to focus too much on just early Madonna. I did. Well, uh, because I know that there's like later Madonna songs that I absolutely love. And although there are some songs that are very heavily um, written by more than one person, sometimes there's six, sometimes there's eight different people chiming in that sort of like come up with the song. Um, there are some simpler moments. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad you're going forward. I, well, as Madonna does, uh, one of my favorite 
newer Madonna songs is The Power of Goodbye off of Ray of oh, Light. Yeah, that's good. Uh, written by Madonna and Rick Knowles. Uh, I mean, I know everyone has heard it. I don't really need to, you know, talk about it too, too much. But there's a really interesting song structure that I looked at in The Power of Goodbye where she starts off and there's almost two verses back to back before she goes into the chorus. Um, which again, is just a fun little stylistic choice. When you look at how she, if it's not something that you've ever paid attention to with a Madonna song, start paying attention to it and you'll start noticing the differences from song to song where sometimes she starts off with the chorus. Sometimes she starts off with a verse that doves into the chorus. Sometimes she's doing, as in The Power of Goodbye, it's a verse, another verse, then the chorus, then a verse, then the chorus, and then she has a bridge, and then it just finishes off with maybe the chorus. So, and again, she doesn't, it's not the same structure for every song. So it's not like you can, she repeats that over and over and over again, which is, I think, what makes it interesting, you know, and it's fun mm -hmm. to sort of sit there and think about, like, how did they write that? How did they go into the studio? Did they write the lyrics and then come up with the song structure? Did they have the music and then come up with that? You know, like, it's just sort of fun to sort of ruminate and think about those type of things. I mean, I don't know if she's ever sort of spoke about some of her songs at, at, like in such complexity, but... Well, um, when I was doing some of this research if for the True Blue album, there were like little, you know, blurbs that I kind of put together. And, you know, she, she says that, you know, when she's working with Patrick Leonard, he comes up with the music and presents it to her. And then she adds the lyrics and she um, comes up with the melodies. Mm -hmm. And then they go back to the music and you know, but she, she, she wrote that like they have kind of a shorthand with each other where they don't really have to, go back and forth too much, you know, it just yeah. kind of all falls into place. I don't know if she has that ease with other songwriters, but um, going back to Power of Goodbye, that was uh, one of the songs that Rick Knowles co-wrote with her on Ray of Light. And I really love the work that they did together. And I wish that they would work together again. I love Rick Knowles' work with Belinda Carlisle. He kind of shaped her mm -hmm. sound in the 80s and 90s. And more recently, he has also helped define Lana Del Rey sound since her first album. Mm. And it's interesting, you know, if you listen to Belinda Carlisle's pop work uh, as a solo artist and then you listen to Ray of Light and you listen to Lana Del Rey, it's three different point of views. Mm -hmm. So this guy is diverse and he knows what he's doing and I'd love to see them work together again. Yeah, it's always curious that she will work together very successfully with somebody and then she doesn't ever again. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of, it's very curious as to like, is it just what a, happened? Yeah, is it just a matter of like they they happened to land on a really great song but didn't feel compelled to work together again? Or is it just like a matter of like scheduling? Is like when she is ready to work on a project, that person's not available? Or is it something that she's very cognizant about trying to work with new people to constantly further her sound and further her songwriting? You know, who knows? I, it's, I, that's one of those questions I would definitely ask Madonna if I was to ever have dinner with her. I'm like, Madonna, why do you choose the songwriters that you choose. What are you guys going to have for dinner? Tic Tacs? Um, I'm actually going to have a seared ahi tuna salad with some honey mustard on the side. And I think Madonna's probably going to have, I think she's very big in the seaweed wraps right now mm. um, with maybe some couscous and uh, just a very light drizzle of some uh, wasabi sauce. She'll send it back three times before she actually eats it. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, you have to get the temperature right. You, know, <laughs> you just have to. So on my list is Vogue, which... Vogue. Vogue. 
And to me, it's similar to Into the Groove because um, she's creating a dance floor vibe. And once well, like the dance floor, the vibe. dance floor vibe, you know. So once you're there, you, there's no looking back, you know. So Vogue lyrically is about escape, escapism, and the you know instrumentation, uh, you know, musically, it is a disco song. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. it's full of disc samples from disco songs, which got them in trouble later. Well, but it's okay oh, because well, <laughs> you know it's iconic and get get into it. You know? Look, you know that you've hit something successful if people are suing you. Exactly. You know, like if you if you've got people knocking down the door saying you stole this from me, then you know that it's you've you've hit a mark. Yeah, and you know, uh, there's not a lot to say about Vogue. You know, um, that hasn't already been said. that hasn't already been said. It was a song that was commissioned. By the label, um, you know, Madonna had an idea and they asked her, how do you want to pull this off? And, you know, they got Shep Pettibone, who had been doing all the remixes, to produce his first full track with Madonna. And it was a home run, you know. Um, she she got together in the studio with him and she came up with the rap first. Mm-hmm. And she said, this is going to be for Dick Tracy because I have to invoke this you know, a silver screen siren, you know, uh, persona. And the song was going in one direction. And then they started talking about the Vogue balls. She had just recently been to one uh, the summer before. Uh, Suzanne Barch threw the life ball. And that's the first time she saw the House of Extravaganza. And it all just kind of came together. It, you know, it was, once again, it was one of those, you know, very quick recording sessions. I think uh, the story is that he recorded her vocals in a closet. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's, you know, it's, it's well, legendary. They, they sound damn good if they're in a closet. Can it, we, can we get that closet? I know. Right. <laughs> but that song is legendary. I mean, there's, you know, there's not anyone that hears it once and doesn't recognize it when they hear it again. It's, it's unique. It's singular. And, you know, it's true testament that Madonna can write an iconic song. Well, and I love the, I mean, obviously I love Vogue. It's one of my all-time favorite Madonna songs. If I was, ha- if I had to be stuck on a desert, you know how they have desert island discs yeah. on uh, Radio 4 or whatever, Radio 1, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, if I had to be stuck on a desert island with like five Madonna songs, Vogue would definitely have to be one of them because I It just, really doesn't get old. No, you sort of don't get tired of hearing it. You know, like it's, you can always sort of listen to it for different things. And, but I love her songwriting technique in that song because she's able to take two opposing ideas you know an homage to the silver screen icons of hollywood and mash it up with a current 90s dance trend that happening no one in, knew that about no one knew about and make them both really like she marries them really mm-hmm. well together and it almost just makes sense like i don't think anybody when that song came out i don't think anybody questioned why is madonna talking about voguing and these and i think she was also very smart in that she was using where the, the title of Vogue came from, mm-hmm. where like Voguing being presentational in this night, where they were trying to, the people dancing at those balls were emulating the supermodels that were appearing on the cover of Vogue magazine. Yeah, and they were living their best life on the dance floor because their best life was not to be lived outside of the dance floor. Right. But on top of that, it's also about Madonna playing Breathless Mahoney. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there were so many things going on in that, but it all worked. I think it's probably the first time, which she then repeats after this, where Madonna um, has a list, has a list in a song. You know, um, 
Vogue has has that iconic list of Hollywood icons in it, and Madonna then goes on later on in her career repeatedly with more lists, which yeah. which I think is sort of like it's something fun that she championed in Vogue, and she found that it worked, and it's fun to sort of see her pay homage to that in newer songs in different ways, but it still works. Madame X loves a list, but <laughs> yeah, I mean this this is. I mean, this is proof positive that, you know, Vogue did what it was supposed to. No one talks of Dick Tracy anymore, but they still talk about Vogue. I mean, there's a TV series about Vogue. I think Warren Beatty (laughs) still talks about Dick Tracy. Yeah, and Annette's like, shut up already. Yeah, just get over it. (laughs) Um, One of my newer Madonna songs also that I absolutely love the songwriting for is Sorry, off the Confessions album. Uh, That was written by Madonna and Stuart Price. So as we all know, Confessions era is a fan favorite. Um, How could it not be? There are some really amazing Madonna songs on that album. Uh, Some really great songwriting. Sorry is one of them. It's a really great song structure. Like you can see how the song shapes itself looking at the lyrics when you take a look at the verse chorus back and forth. You know, like, They wrote a really catchy-ass chorus. Uh, I I mean, I challenge you to listen to that song and not have it stuck in your head. And one of the things I think that I love about that is that it's a quintessential Madonna earworm song. A lot of her songs are not necessarily earworm songs Mm. where like you listen to it and it's, it sort of like gets, it runs through your head over and over and over again. But Sorry is, is like that. Yeah. And which I think is, again, Another testament, sorry, we're, we're loving on Madonna and her songwriting <laughs> lyrics. So if we say it's a testament to her wonderful songwriting skills a lot, it's because- At least it's, we're not saying it's a love letter Because it's true. <laughs> but yeah, the sorry, you know, it, it's a complex song in terms of song structure. If you, you know, look at the song and how it's written, there's, again, a lot of lyrics going on in that song. Um, the, and- I think it's fun to sort of sit there and think, how did how did they approach that? How did they sit down and did they come up with the music first? Did they come up with the chorus first? Like, I, I'm always curious to know, like, how she's writing these songs. Yeah, and I don't know anything about the songwriting process for um, anything on Confessions because they didn't really discuss it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've ever had, um, like, an interview with her and Stuart Price sort of, like, talking about the songwriting process for that album. yeah. Although I would love to hear that. I mean, I, I do remember there was like one small interview. They were in a recording studio that, in Stuart Price's recording studio, but they were mostly talking about the disco influences on mm. the music, but they didn't talk about the lyrics. Right. But I mean, you know, in Sorry, she's, I love that she has the different languages for saying I'm sorry, the different, you know, mm-hmm. the different ways of saying that. There is a little bit of looping on the song where, you know, like I've heard it all before, I've heard it all before. But it doesn't sound redundant in a bad way. It's sort of like it's nice that that we have the repetition of that. Well, the the music has a looping beat anyway, so it right. it, it just matches. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of fun to just if, if you you know I mean again just that chorus you know that I don't want to hear I don't want to know I mean I, I love that chorus and it's again something sort of simplistic in terms of the words. Mm-hmm. But, you know, go listen to that song and you'll be humming it all day. I mean, I'll always be indebted to Madonna for teaching me how to say sorry in all those languages. I still use those. Oh, know? absolutely. I say sliha all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so my last pick is Rain 
um, from the Erotica album, and I love this song. It is another Madonna ballad. I've noticed a trend. Mm-hmm. I feel like Madonna shines when she writes a ballad because it really it feels like it comes from her heart. You know, it feels like it comes from a place of hurt, a place of longing, a place of truth, and Rain is no exception. Um, I have a problem with how people can, you know, how people talk about rain i mean not so much anymore i mean when rain first came out and it was under the context of the erotica album a lot of people with minds in the gutter Mm -hmm. thought that rain was an extended metaphor for sex Uh and ejaculation and all kinds of you know liquid exploits that's not what it's about guys no No, it's not (laughs) uh actually it's a love song i just found out this week that there was a, a project that Alec Hashishian was working on, and it was going to be a musical adaptation of Wuthering Heights that was based on a short film he did while he was at Harvard. And Madonna wrote that song for that project. And, you know, and it was going to be in erotica as well, but it was, you know, written as Wuthering Heights, you know, and Rain plays a big part in Wuthering Heights. If you watch the video, there's also references to Wuthering Heights. So for me now to hear that song and hear those romantic references to that novel just makes it even more romantic for me. Well, and I love that song. I mean, it's it's such an epic mm-hmm. Madonna ballad. I love how grand it sounds and she sounds great. But like one of my favorite portions of that song is the talking portion. Oh yeah. I was just going to talk about that. That's she, my you know, favorite like part. How she has the two competing sort of sections in mm-hmm. one is in the right ear. One is in the left. Listen to it with good speakers yeah. uh, or good uh, headphones. Or headphones. Yeah. But yeah. I love that part. Yeah, it's like it's like a, a sonic charge, you know, and then it's in the dueling Madonnas reciting lines of poetry, and I don't know. I just I love, I love the um, the sound design of the song. Mm-hmm. It's different from anything on Erotica, yet it fits perfectly. Yeah, I I love her voice in this. Uh, sounds at times like a combination of Karen Carpenter and oh, totally. even Belinda Carlisle. Well, that's how I felt about Ghost Town. You yeah. know, like when I heard Ghost Town, I was like, she sounds like Karen Carpenter yeah. in this song. And the, and Rain is very similar to the Ghost Town in that sort of how she sounds. Yeah. Um, and also, um, apparently, Donna and Nikki love that song as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Because they've, they've re-recorded it and it's become, you know, a big hit online. If you want to get slapped in the face with the brilliance of Madonna, Nikki, and Donna, then you will watch the Rain performance from The Girly Show. So good. So good. And I love that they weave in the old Motown song. Just My Just Imagination. My imagination. It's yeah. so good. and uh, It's almost as if Madonna is channeling Karen Carpenter and Smokey Robinson all mm, at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's a good image to have. So yeah, that's that's what I have as far as like my favorite Madonna songwriting moments. Even though on every album there is a standout lyric, you know, and um, you know we can we can just pull some lyrics and post them on on the Instagram. Oh, of course, know? yeah. I mean, the one last one I wanted to sort of highlight was I think probably her meatiest uh, songwriting effort and one of her songs on her most current album, Madam X, which is Got Control. Oh my God. If there's, if there is a song that is not 
of this moment, I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's other than the fact that it's a timely written song for the current atrocities happening in the United States, um, written by her and Mirways, which I love that sort of like they paired together and, and wrote another like really epic song together. Look at the lyrics of that song. It is really, really hefty in terms of the lyric weight. Uh, there are so many lyrics in that song mm -hmm. and it just goes on and on and on and on. You know, you have um, the intro, you have the first verse, you have the spoken little rap part that, that she goes into. Um, there's like... Uh, I feel like that that spoken like rhyme is like left brain, right brain. Yeah, it's just I, there's so much going on in that. There's so much story. There's so like it's just a lyric heavy song, but it still works. You mm -hmm. know, like and the the way the structure is, I couldn't. I I was listening to it the other day to sort of try to figure out what I considered the chorus. And I couldn't quite figure out if she meant the chorus to be the people think that I'm insane, if that's what she's meaning is the chorus, or if it's the sweeping, it's a, an abnormal, uh, oh, I'm blanking on, I can't do it without singing and I promised myself I wouldn't sing. But all the different lyrics that it goes on to, the whole, the whispering part, the the wake up part, like there's just so much that it just keeps weaving and changing and shifting and this and that. And it's just such a, like, also, and then the production value of the song is yeah. just like through the roof as so well. Good. Like there's just so much going on in that. And I just love that even still, you know, like 30 plus years into her career, she can still bang out a powerhouse song like that. And again, because of, you know, the way radio is and they're not playing her and she's just not getting the attention that she used to, right. people aren't hearing that. And, you know, again, it's a it's a heavy topic that she's talking about. Yeah. It is not an into the groove, light and airy, get on the dance floor type of feel. It's about, you know, her thoughts and how crazy and ridiculous gun control has become here in America, the lack of the gun lack control. Of, yeah. And uh, so people aren't playing that on the radio because they don't want to hear about it, you know? It's, and plus, yeah, going back to the structure, um, as we know, Madame X throws all the rules out the window. So there's not the traditional, you know, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, you know, uh, set up. And, and that's fine because uh, yeah, cause it works, it works and she can sell a song. Yeah. Period. Yeah. It's uh, but yeah, I, th I think it's a, uh, a really great recent Madonna song. And I love that, you know, as we all know, when she was getting together to start writing that Madame X album, she had taken, <laughs> to her social media to post a tirade about how she didn't want to sit through songwriting camps because the quote unquote kids of today are too impatient to sit down and actually write a cohesive album. But I think that she was able to get together with people like Stara and people like uh, Jason Evigan right, and Mirways, and she was able to craft some really solid songs. So it's, yeah, I think it, you know, it's, it, it's nice to see that she was able to sort of pull off some really solid music. Yeah. I, I think, I think the key for her collaborators is that they need to know where she came from. They need to know her, her journey, you know, um, she can't work with some 20 year old that has never heard of her. Right. Well, he just wouldn't appreciate the brilliance yeah. of it. And he wouldn't know what to pull out. Yeah. He wouldn't you know? know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's, uh, they, uh, her songwriting has been ever changing, ever evolving. And, uh, I'm curious to see what she has up her sleeve for the next iteration of her career. Oh, I'm always ready for the next we, iteration. We, we shall see.
So guys, if you have a favorite Madonna song that she wrote with maybe one collaborator, why not, and we didn't talk about it, why don't you tell us about it and we will discuss it on the Instagram. Yeah, drop us a line. Let us know if there's a, a specific lyric or uh, song that you think is really super powerful that we didn't. I mean, obviously, there's so many other songs that we did not mention here because yeah. we just don't have the time to talk about every single song that we love. Um, but uh, who knows? Maybe we'll do it in another podcast. Uh, there's plenty of Madonna songs to talk about. Yeah, I mean, these were just 10 of her best songwriting efforts, according to us. But, you know, there's also something to remember. I mean, that's just full of songwriting hits. <laughs> yeah. Okay, everyone. So this week uh, we have a, uh, a special moment courtesy of Tony. Tony, I think you, you have a little something on your mind. Yeah, I don't know if it's special, though. Um, it's always special. So, yeah, I had some thoughts, you know, um, about Madonna's story, you know, about Madonna's legend, if you will. Um, I recently watched the documentary Madonna and the Breakfast Club, which you can find on Amazon Prime, and it's very engaging. You know, it's kind of a hybrid of a documentary, a docudrama, and uh, behind the music, if you will. I wonder if anyone but the lady herself will be able to give us the definitive origin story, though. Even when Madonna was starting out, others were telling her story, not always factually. Every fan remembers all those glossy biographies of the early in the early 90s, you know, those hardcover books with like, you know, the inserts of all the color photographs, you know, of Madonna's career. And, you know, they were fun, you know, nice to have, you know, on your coffee table, but, you know, they were full of misinformation and conjecture. And I'm sure Madonna sued a lot of those people because you don't see reprints, you know. Later, there was a book written by her brother, which didn't do anyone any favors, but, you know, I gobbled them all up anyway, and I'm sure you guys did too. I mean, we all know the story. She went to New York. She had a dream. She wanted to be a big star. She didn't know anybody. She wanted to dance. She wanted to sing. She wanted to do all those things. She wanted to make people happy. She wanted to be famous. She wanted everyone to love her. She wanted to be a star. She worked really hard, and her dream came true. Yes, the dream came true beyond her wildest dreams, and it became the stuff of legend. So much so that in the mid-90s, Fox produced a TV movie about her early years in New York City titled Madonna, Innocence Lost, and it was as, as bad as you can imagine. I mean, it's not the actress's fault. It's not easy portraying an icon. You know, she sometimes looks like her, but that's only if you're like in the dark squinting while walking really fast. Um, you know, it, someone must have thought that they were doppelgangers, though, because this actress also portrayed Madonna very briefly in another made-for-TV movie. This one was about Dennis Rodman, but, you know, the less I say anything about that, the better. More recently, a script uh, called Blonde Ambition ended up in Hollywood's annual blacklist of most desirable unproduced screenplays. And I read it, and immediately I called bullshit. I mean, there's a scene early on in the script where Madonna is working in the Russian tea room and coming in contentious contact with her fateful, hateful ballerinas from her old dance school. I'm not buying it. I mean, that didn't happen, and the script just gets worse. Surprisingly and astoundingly, the script was bought by Universal and is now, you know, slated to go into production. We'll see about that, though, because Madonna immediately denounced the project, saying that no one could tell her story but herself. And she expressed interest in actually directing her own life story, though not that particular script. With the recent successes of Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man, a lot of fans would love to see a Madonna biopic, but it has to be done right. 
Us fans have taken biographical cues from her lyrics and images in her videos throughout her career, and you know, some have tried to cobble together, mainly me, what her experiences might be like from these clues. But the closest we have come to having Madonna tell her story was not the sex book, or, or even Truth or Dare. While the sex book is full of confessions and erotic bedtime stories, I don't think that the book is autobiographical. Even she says so in the foreword that this is a fantasy. In Truth or Dare, yeah, Truth or Dare is a movie first and foremost, documenting the Blonde Ambition tour, but it's also a version of that experience told from Madonna's viewpoint. She did, however, tell the story of her early years in New York City in a half-hour VH1 special called Madonna Rising from the late 90s. You know, riding around the Lower East Side with Rupert Everett, she showed us a version of those early days, you know, seeing her revisit the old apartment building, the deli, rehearsal space. It was pretty jarring since you don't expect Madonna to ever revisit what she tried so hard to get away from. Now with the release of Madame X, we see and hear Madonna echoing her career, dishing on the past. For example, she tells a story of how she got that name. You know, we're taking back to 1979 to imagine Madonna with cornrows, ripped leggings, and a bad attitude in dance class. But whether she writes an autobiography, directs a biopic, or produces the complete documentary on her life, there's no doubt this project will have a huge impact, not just on the fans, but everyone out there that's interested in just exactly how Madonna got to where she is now on her own terms. Well, guys, that's our show for the week. Thanks for tuning in. As always, this is Stefan and... This is Tony. Thanks, guys. You can look for us on social media through our website, which is mlbcpodcast.com. You can also find us wherever podcasts are found through Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. We're everywhere. Everywhere. Hopefully. Uh, But yeah, if you uh, aren't following us on Instagram, please give us a follow and uh, send us a message. Tell us where you're calling in from, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week.